Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I speak to consultant turned contractor Whitney Hill about how to set up systems and processes for sustainable growth. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. This is going to be cool because I, I was just t- telling you before the show started about your your company Snapadoo and how I was checking out like how I can do different layouts for uh, homes, which I think is cool because there's been like a big housing, I guess, crisis, I guess we can call it, where contractors, uh, you know, have like stopped building their projects because of whatever issues. And then there was like a lumber shortage in the pandemic. And then there was like interest rates going up. I mean, there's like so many different things happening where the housing market is having kind of problems. Can you kind of boil it down to like a summary for people that are watching or listening that don't really know what's going on? Sure. We have an interesting environment where folks are holding on to their homes right now because they have locked in interest rates at you know sub 4%, sub 3% in some cases. So there's low inventory. Um, folks are looking to build as an alternative. Um, but again, with interest rates high, that's that's hard as well. Like you mentioned, the material um, changes have presented a lot of pricing volatility. So there's just a lot at play right now. And as an accessory dwelling unit builder, which is what we specialize in, ADUs or granny flats, you might hear them called in some parts of the country. Um, you know, folks who are building them for their family might have someone who's selling a home to, to downsize and have the cash. But for investors looking to add these units to their properties, it's a lot harder to access the money to get it done right now. Interesting. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people on like, you know, different platforms, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, talking about their tiny homes and their, you know, the different kinds of ways that they've been, I guess, maximizing the small amount of space they have. So um, what's, I guess that's, What's the advantage and disadvantage of having one of these smaller, I mean, besides the fact that obviously you lose a lot of space, what are the upsides? We actually see a lot of folks building these for themselves where they will move into the smaller space because they feel like they don't want to keep up a large house. So they'll rent out the primary home that they were living in and they'll move into this well-designed smaller unit that just is, is really more purpose built for them. Um, and as far as, you know, the pros and cons, folks are excited about having an alternative for um, their family members, whether that's a, an adult child who can't afford the housing market would otherwise be, you know, renting somewhere farther away. Um, or for aging relatives who would be going to an assisted living facility, perhaps, um, or just wouldn't be able to be as close, um, literally in the backyard for grandchildren. So we see a lot of different family configurations. Um, and it's also great that it's a flexible option where needs change over time. You might start out having a family member there. They have a change of plans and you rent out the unit um, for additional income. So it, it does offer some flexibility. Um, as far as the downsides, um, you know, ADUs are still fairly new. And so as far as getting these things appraised and seeing that affect your property value. It's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag right now mm. um, until we have more of a critical mass of these sense. things hitting the market. Yeah. Because again, without these things hitting it's not the market, really, it's, it's not really a house. Home. So, it's, you know, right. It's not really a house. It's more like an additional, it's like almost adding, it's like almost adding like a big shed on your property, you know, almost, you know, so I guess in maybe some the, ways, the category is a bit different maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same construction technique as a full home. So the, right. the interesting part is sometimes it'll, it'll have an appraiser who will look at it as a duplex and other times just extension of the square footage of the house. It's right. a lot of inconsistency. That's, yeah. I guess it all depends on like the, the zoning laws of the area that you're building into. So we, we, we're talking about setup systems and processes, right? So let's talk about that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of 
I guess, repeatable things that we do every day in our business, right? Entrepreneurs are constantly entering data into the spreadsheet, you know, emailing people, um, adding things to a, a project management list or whatever it is. And what kinds of things have you done to, you know, I guess, do your day-to-day operations quicker? We've really worked on building out central hubs for the key information, both on our projects that we're delivering for clients and also for how we're improving our company as a whole. So once we set up those central hubs, we use Builder Trend for our project management and then Asana to manage our company tasks. It enables you to start um, putting together the structure of something that you work on in your business, hand it off to someone else. Uh, prioritize it. So really finding something fairly early to house all these ideas beyond just email and phone, like it's not going to get the job done. So picking something where you can organize these thoughts so you can deploy against them more quickly was really pivotal for us. So how does a startup, I mean, let's just say that it's not in the housing market. It's just any other startup, an app or a product. Mm -hmm. How do they create the infrastructure of technology to run the business uh, as long as like helping them, I guess, for their, their strategic initiatives in the future. I think setting something up that's going to allow for flexibility as you grow is important. So sometimes folks will be overwhelmed by one of a handful of things. It might seem like it's too early to put some sort of a tech um, in place because you don't really know exactly what you're doing yet. Um, it might seem like the, the software is too powerful in the beginning. Oh, it's so overwhelming to get in there. How do I access it? What do I do? So those are some of the, you know, things the learning curve. Here. Yeah. And the learning curve, precisely. So for us, picking software that was pretty easy to use, like 10% of the features was an easy way to get started. And then we realized over time we could pull in more and more of those features. So right. I think it's important not to worry about having the perfect answer. You're not going to know enough, um, but get started with something so you can build on it. Because again, until you have something you're all using, it's very hard to speak the same language and get to get your team thinking about it in terms of process. Right. I agree. And I notice uh, there's sometimes, I guess... I would, I don't want to say miscommunication, but I guess a different workflow between people sometimes where they want to just keep emailing and emailing and emailing. And we're like, you know, we got to chat on Slack. We have to put our tasks on Trello. You know, if you're going to send me a spreadsheet instead, send me the link to the Google sheet that I can collaborate with you. And some people are just so set in their old ways of, you know, sending the spreadsheet as an attachment, sending that email and continuing a chain and et cetera. How do you convince them that it really is just better to do it as a more collaborative way? The tricky part here is that on any one transaction, it probably is easier to just email it, you know, and not worry about how to do it in in the system. So I think it's about from the beginning, um, really hammering home that for this to be scalable, for us to do 50 of these instead of five, we have to have a way to organize our thoughts. And we don't want to burden ourselves with the mental load of just remembering where it is. That was a big selling point as well. Like allow yourself a dumping place for all this information to organize it so that anybody could come over and pick it up from you. Another selling point is... um, um, people wanted to step away from work. Like if you can spell this out into a task for someone else to take over, if I can assign this to someone else, it's very easy then for us to have a work-life balance where we can step away from work and not have to be on the hook because it's all in our email inbox. Man, you're bringing up some points that I'm going to forward over to my partner. <laughs> so this episode, this episode is going to make the rounds in my startup so, so that people can understand. Um, it's not just coming from me, it's coming from you and you're an expert. So, um, <laughs> So now, how do you use all of this infrastructure? Uh, we talked a little bit about how it's more efficient, obviously, but um, this could go out to your clients as well. Like, I mean, what kinds of things have you seen where the processes that you're using, in my case, you know, Slack, Trello, Google Drive, and Google Calendars, like, 
that integration together makes us like a well a well oiled machine. In your case, like what have you seen happen not only in your company and then through your clients? I think what you just mentioned with a lot of those integrations, um, making it easy for the client to give you the information that you need to run their project or to produce the deliverable for them. So using things like surveys that are then integrated with your project management system to populate the data fields that you know need to be there for you to do your job. That's a that's a very simple one. Um, also, a lot of project management systems will have a client-facing portal, which we take advantage of in our project management system, so that we're committing to the schedule, not, not only for our team and our vendors to get that done, but we're allowing our client to see it. And over time, we've evolved to showing our clients more and more of the manufacturing process, so to speak. So before we wouldn't have let them see kind of the real schedule progressing. Right. We wouldn't have allowed them to see our logs of what was um, you know, a problem in the resolution. But over time, we've given that transparency to build trust and also just to make it simpler for us. If the communication is, is just um, always available, if you can always check in on your project, you have clients who are reaching out less, already feel satiated with that information. So we've really pushed towards transparency in our operation. I like that. And that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of, I guess, processes that are kind of behind the scenes, right? So clients are just seeing the end product and then they might not be happy with it. They might be disappointed. That happens in software development a lot. So I guess when you talk about transparency, right, when you find your target market, your target customer, how can you use transparency? And this can work in any industry. It doesn't have to be just yours, right? An entrepreneur just hearing about this for the first time, what do you tell them? How do they do that transparency to get more sustainable growth? I think the biggest question you have to ask is what am I afraid of with having this information out mm. there? A lot of times it's, it's garnered by fear of releasing our secrets. You know, having our pricing out online is going to mean all of our competitors know. Um, but what's really going to happen with that information out there? Um, for us, what really happened was that we had clients coming to us who were already informed about the basics. People were self-selecting if they had unrealistic um, expectations about pricing. Um, in the case of sharing things like job schedules and all of that, um, it simply um, means that you have to put a line in the sand and commit to it. So um, having that mentality throughout your team is also helpful because we're always thinking about it from the perspective of how can I commit to something that I can deliver on for our clients since we know they're going to be along for the entire journey with us. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, and and you just mentioned having the employees. Like So when you want to, I guess, have your vision spread out to your entire company, um, what are the most effective ways of really having everybody be on the same page? Because that's a big problem in a lot of startups is people don't see eye to eye. They don't understand the vision completely. How, how did you do that? We do this through um, formal sessions with the whole team on on Zoom together. Um, we are a remote first company, so we okay. all have our know, home offices. We don't have a, a central workspace that we use, which means that virtual meetings are important for us. So at least once, sometimes twice a year, we'll be we'll do just a kind of state of the company um, session where we share vital information about how the company is performing. We share um, priorities and uh, context for the team, which then allows us to have that backdrop for smaller sessions with either one-on-ones with with direct reports or um, teams that work together on um, different aspects of our projects. So we do find that those company meetings are helpful in kind of setting the the backdrop that we'll use in other uh, parts of the business. Makes sense too. And I mean, you guys are obviously a very specific industry. I mean, some startups kind of venture out with different verticals. So I guess you chose a niche focus for your idea, for your brand, for your company on purpose. Uh, is that kind of how you grew so quickly and, and how, and what kind of methods did you use to beat out the competitors? 
Absolutely. Having um, a solid niche was key for us and not only specializing just in ADUs, but very quickly realizing we wanted to specialize in detached new construction ADUs. So you can actually convert an existing garage or basement into an accessory dwelling unit. But working with existing structures is very different than starting from scratch um, as just a second home behind another home, for example. Um, so we started turning away work that wasn't within that lane. If it was, mm. um, you know, kind of a funky project, there was a lot of conversion or maybe maybe even a development project with multiple ADUs. Um, those are big jobs potentially. And to turn that down is a little bit intimidating, but we knew right. that if we focus too broadly, we wouldn't be able to come up with a repeatable system. Um, so the other benefit of that, not only having the repeatable model for how to serve the client, you start realizing that in that little niche, you know a lot, um, perhaps more than anyone else in your market. So we started publishing a lot on our website, on our blog. Um, again, transparency, we needed it for our team anyway. So as soon as we would learn these things from the jurisdiction, We'd start putting it on the blog for our team, but so anyone who was searching for it would find it. And we've quickly um, become a leader in this space, just in ADU education by virtue of doing that, because we're um, sharing that information as we as we ascertain it. That's awesome. Uh, do you guys do a lot of content marketing? And if so, what have you seen, especially during the pandemic, to be the most effective in getting you the results you're looking for? Well, honestly, we, we find that um, our most effective uh, lead generation sources are organic search off of those um, you know, deep topical so just, briefs. So just SEO, SEO basically. 100%. We, we wow. get about 65% of our leads from Google organic search and the balance wow. from job site signs in person and then some referrals. So you guys haven't really engaged in a lot of video marketing or like influencer marketing or social media marketing. It's really mostly just search, huh? That's the biggest one for us. Um, we do keep a presence on on social platforms. We do post YouTube videos and people find us that way as well. Um, but as far as um, just dominating the sheer numbers, it's always wow. Google search. And we think that's also because of the intent. If somebody's Googling ADU builder, they've already been thinking about this for a while. They're getting into the decision making. So we feel like that's another reason those leads are, are so strong. So when you mentioned transparency earlier, is that part of your strategy with your content and your marketing? Like, here's everything. And if you want us, here we are. 100%. We put it all out there. I mean, you'd be wow. shocked at some of the technical <laughs> detail on it. If our competitors want it, you know, there it is. But what we feel is that in some ways, too, it's a, um, it's sending a signal in the market about this, too. So if somebody, let's, we even see cities sometimes will we'll Google, you know, how is this standard applied? Because the, there's state laws about ADUs and the cities have to interpret them. If we're the first search on Google, there's a huge right. amount of credibility there. Um, so that again, the transparency just has reaps us multiple benefits. That's awesome. And is it snapadu.com or is it snapadu.com? Because I kind of like snapadu. It sounds so cool. <laughs> we do answer to both. It is okay, snapadu. Okay. <laughs> I, th I think snapadu is so damn catchy. Oh, we definitely call it snapadu from here, you know, time to time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Awesome. And so it's uh, snapadu, snapadu.com. And if, right. if you're interested in checking out, you have a really nifty tool on there where people can actually try different layouts or different types of buildings, I guess that you guys offer, right? Is that how it works? Yes, we have um, a floor plan configurator where you can try um, different layouts within a given footprint. We also have a library of about 40 standard plans and we, we customize all of those to suit as well. Since these are all infill development on existing properties, we're often needing to tweak them to suit the property. Perfect. Check it out, guys. SnapADU or SnapADU.com. Thanks, Whitney. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, Please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. 
You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.